The CNBC app, global market news in one place. Customizable sections and personalized alerts. Stocks tracking, interactive charts and market insights all in your hands. Stay connected, stay informed. Download the CNBC app today. Uh, it's Monday morning, everyone. Happy Monday. A warm welcome to Scorebox. Should we give you some headlines? China seeking to stem a slump in the country's property sector, but defies expectations, cutting its one-year loan prime rate less than expected and leaving its five-year rate unchanged. Well, the reaction on the markets, the Hang Seng uh, slipping deeper into bear market territory, equities hitting a fresh nine-month low as regulator measures fail to soothe investor concerns over China's ailing economy. Former President Donald Trump snubs the first Republican primary debate, refusing to take part as he reportedly weighs several competing options in a bid to upstage the party's opening event. And global government bond yields extend their climb with the US 30-year at its highest since 2011 as rate hike concerns build ahead of this week's Jackson Hole Symposium. Lovely to see you all this morning. We'll try and entertain you and inform you over the next three hours. That's our mantra. How are you? Good morning. Very well. Did thank you have you. a lovely weekend? I did. The uh, sun came out in the UK, didn't it? It's finally. Did. It's meant to be summer. We, you, you can tell the sun came out because we're all moaning because it was above 22 degrees. <laughs> but uh, yeah, lots to talk about and lots going on in Asia. So why don't we just go straight to that as well? Because the Chinese central bank has cut its one year loan prime rate actually by a smaller than expected 10 basis points to 3.45% and defied expectations for a cut in its five-year LPR, which most mortgages in the country are pegged to, keeping the rate on hold at 4.2%. Faltering growth and challenges to China's property sector had fueled expectations of stronger intervention from the central bank after it announced surprise cuts to the short and medium-term lending rates last week. The central bank's move comes after a raft of weak data out of the world's second largest economy this month. The Kaishin PMI survey released at the start of August showed a surprise contraction in the manufacturing sector before exports posted their steepest fall since the start of the COVID pandemic. China's CPI reading showed the country slipping into deflation for the first time since February 2021. And data released last week revealed falling house prices and lower levels of property investment. Well, is it as bleak a picture as it seems or actually is it just coming down to uh, levels which are more sustainable? But let's speak to Sam now who can just update us on the latest and indeed on the market reaction. Good morning, Sam. Very good morning to you, Steve. Well, there are a few considerations as to what we got from the PBOC this morning in terms of a bit of a surprise to the market in what was being described as a modest cut only to the one year, which was widely expected off the back of the medium-term lending facility rate cut, of course. So that mirrored that with a 10 basis point cut. But it was really the five-year loan prime rate being kept on hold that was the shock to the market and caught a few off guard. Um, as I said, a few considerations 
considerations for that as far as the views in the market are concerned. One of those are to protect net interest margins after we did see that cut on the medium-term lending facility rate last week. So that is about the banks. The other consideration um, that is being talked about today is perhaps some concern among the authorities of further depreciation pressure on the Chinese currency. We have seen these stronger-than-expected fixings by the PBOC to the UN midpoint each morning, and that is being interpreted in the market as a sign of perhaps um, some concern about the recent uh, depreciation that we have seen. So perhaps that managed to try to offset uh, any further weakness that we could have potentially got from the cut this morning. Right now, we're looking at uh, the onshore spot rate at four-tenths of a percent in the session, 7.30.50, let's call that, uh, against the US dollar, uh, and offshore, 7.32.40. Now, perhaps the other consideration is uh, we were speaking to an asset manager from BNP Paribas about in the last hour um, is sort of about credibility because we have seen this deleveraging campaign going on uh, from the Chinese authorities and maybe he's saying that the cyclical risk that we are seeing mounting is starting to challenge the structural policy um, that they are trying to achieve. So um, there is also the demand factor, of course, that we're seeing in the market with this non-willingness to borrow right now. So one analyst telling me this morning, guys, um, this seems to be a crisis of confidence rather than liquidity in the market right now. Yeah, a crisis of confidence in the market or and also a crisis perhaps for the consumer as well. There was a, a terrific long read uh, in the Wall Street Journal this weekend. So hats off to them talking about is this the end of the 40-year boom? And it was a longish read, but there was a very good chart in it. And we're going to show it to our viewers now. And I don't know if you'll be able to see this as well, Sam. But it's a question about the household expenditure as a share of GDP. And the point that the article was raising that actually something that we understand that President Xi doesn't want to do is spend a lot of money galvanizing consumer spending. He would rather use that money uh, creating stronger industries, whether it be AI, whether it be semiconductors, whether it be EV as well. But it seems that an economy which is running out of options perhaps needs to galvanize that household expenditure and get the Chinese consumer to spend more money. It's a pivot that's been much talked about as well. Uh, And the chart that I just showed on the screen shows that the US, the world, EU, just about everybody spends a lot more money in a household than the Chinese. How is the Chinese authorities, how are those authorities going to galvanise spending, Sam? Because they don't seem to want to embrace it necessarily by policy just yet, but it seems like an idea that's in the locker. When we talk about a crisis of confidence, uh, not a crisis of liquidity, it very much is clear that Chinese people have the money. They're just keeping it in the bank. And we're seeing that in the data. Now, to answer to your question, Steve, the, uh, the problem right now that many analysts say the government is facing is that they're trying to get people to basically go out and buy more cars and houses. And they're doing that by trying to boost consumption um, efforts, um, trying to make it easier to go out and do those things. But they do believe, economists that we've been speaking to, um, believe that the government needs to shift their attention to rather than getting people to go out and spend money, which they're not going and doing, um, is to try to boost those long-term income expectations. Because right now, it is a lack of confidence about jobs and salaries. We can see that in the youth unemployment number. And of course, that 
is sitting at a record high. And the problem is, is that um, when you have somebody at home uh, that is in the age group of 16 to 24 um, that doesn't have a job, you're more likely to be sort of keeping the money under the mattress and saving it for when things um, improve in terms of your household. Um, so it does seem like what we are seeing today is a signal that perhaps they will have other tools in the box that they will go to to try to stimulate some of this growth. We are hearing about this HUCO system, this household registration system being eased. That would help very much in terms of purchases of homes in the bigger cities. Um, and we're also hearing about relaxing down payments as well uh, in smaller cities, two cities. So um, it does look like the efforts are just not going far enough as far as monetary easing is concerned. This was really a signal that perhaps the effectiveness is, is just not going far enough right now, particularly when sentiment is just so bad. Back to you. Sam, thank you very much for running us through the numbers. Uh, just picking up your points around this article from the Wall Street Journal. Mm. For me, what was uh, quite stunning was uh, they're pointing out about what's been built at this point. You know, you stimulate and then something gets built in China. Bridges to nowhere. Exactly. So they were pointing out that uh, in you. Uh, Yunnan, which is in the southwest, that effectively they're spending millions of dollars to build a new COVID-19 quarantine oh, facility. Yeah. It's the size of three football fields. But of course, China's ended its zero COVID policy. So who's going into this quarantine facility? Uh, and and there were, they talked about another place that has 11 airports. Right. And, and there's no one using the airport. Yeah. It was extraordinary. Fascinating, um, isn't it? Yeah, very good article. I mean, as I say, I upset, I think, the, 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 the whole team on Sunday morning by saying, look, here's your homework, everyone. Read this very long article. I know you read it anyway, but uh, it was very good. Yeah, and, about, and then the growth rates, too, being pointed out. Capital Economics was talking about a growth rate now they think is around 3%, not 5% that it was back in 2019, but 3%, and that by 2030, that could fall to 2%. So raising it a question whether the US is still going to be in that pivotal position and whether China can ever catch up. Yeah, well, you're going to take a look at the markets now, I know. But I mean, I'll just give one more stat for the viewers as you as you get to the markets. Or you can stay here, you can do whatever you like. Uh, this was the segue comment, Karen. I wasn't, uh, but uh, but it was basically talking about uh, about the, uh, the World Bank stat for uh, reaching high income status is $13,845. Uh, Japan, for instance, in 2022 was over 42,000. The US was at 76,000. The Chinese haven't made it yet. National income per person at 12,850. But I can confirm that Karen made it to the wall. Hello. Uh, in terms of what to show you, though, the market reaction, I mean, this was a market that was somewhat cautious Friday session, waiting to see what policymakers in China would come up with. Uh, don't forget, there have been all sorts of contagion risk fears around the property market, the mounting debt concerns around China that was expressed through a couple of big names on the boards uh, across the Hong Kong markets over the course of last week. And China equity markets uh, has just been across to other global equity markets. You can see stateside, it was a very slim range that we saw traded, uh, barely a tenth to the upside on the Dow, flat on the S&P and about two tenths down on the Nasdaq. So a very cautious day of trade. To Treasuries, we certainly saw a lot of safe haven trades over the course of the week, but we did uh, see that yield just come off a little bit of the high range in the session, but 4.28 where we closed up shop. That was a, a strong move from the previous Friday. So the course of a week, we saw roughly about 10 plus basis points added to that yield. In terms of the dollar, this has been a real support factor looking at those stronger yields. Morning session here in Europe, we're watching a uh, sterling and euro trade that is firmer versus uh, the greenback 127.41 on sterling 108.83 on euro dollar when it comes to the japanese yen also in focus last week for intervention risk 145.36 dollar firmer versus the yuan to the commodities complex 
WTI and uh, Brent both firmer this morning, picking up by roughly six tenths of a percent, 85.30 on Brent, 81.80 on WTI. The safe haven trade, it's been somewhat evident in some of the gold trades. We've been stabilizing around this level of just below 1,900 US dollars. Morning session up about a quarter of 1%. To the Asian markets, and you've seen that sentiment really expressed through those markets. Japanese stocks shrugging off some of that red ink from the morning session. You can see 138 currently up about four tenths plus. So some disappointment about the size of the stimulus that the Chinese have come up with. That's been really uh, demonstrated through the Hong Kong market today, down 200 plus points, 1.2%. And uh, we've got a peel back on that Chinese stock market, 11 points down. China proxy Australia unable to shrug off some of those concerns too, also trading in the red, Steve. Yeah, just looking at the, the Hang Sang, it was 31,000, give or take the change, on the... Uh, 19th of February 2021 and since then it, it had a precipitous decline towards the tail end of last year. It had a decent rally and now is getting close to those lows. So I mean the long-term chart on the Hang Sang, I mean it, it, it's, it's, it's woeful, a, isn't it? Yeah, really, really tough market for the balls. Um, let's move on. Tropical Storm Hillary made landfall in California Sunday as forecasters warned of potentially catastrophic life-threatening flooding. Schools have been closed and flights grounded amid Southern California's first tropical storm in 84 years. Wow. Uh, President Biden has promised federal resources to the area. Hillary had already battered uh, Mexico's Bahia California Peninsula, where at least one person was killed. Uh, President Biden also uh, with the First Lady uh, looking at another uh, tragic situation in Maui. Uh, they're set to travel there following the island's devastating wildfires. The official death toll has reached 114 with more than 1,000 people still missing. Biden will meet with emergency services workers and survivors. Uh, NBC's Miguel Almaguer filed this report. Tonight as recovery teams here in Lahaina nearly complete their grim search for the missing, for some, grief is turning to anger amid this mountain of loss. I cannot do anything. We never see nothing, nothing at all. Bracing for a death toll still expected to rise, at least 2,200 buildings are gone, most of them homes. The president expected in Maui tomorrow, but not welcomed by all. We don't need you. Don't come here. Facing criticism for what some call a tepid response in the days after the fires. White House staff says the president has been working behind the scenes to provide support and relief to those most in need. I was in complete communication with him throughout this event, helping him understand what I was seeing and FEMA offering meals, housing, and an initial $700 payment to survivors who say it's not nearly enough to start rebuilding their homes and lives. Stay out of our way. Get rid of the red tape. Planning to meet with victims and response teams, the president's visit comes three days after Maui's top emergency management official resigned, when Herman Ndaya stood by his decision to not sound emergency sirens that often indicate a tsunami. Local leaders, including the governor, appeared to stand by his side. But today he offered this suddenly stark rebuke. Do I wish those sirens went off? Of course I do. Tonight in Maui, the demand for accountability, the plea for presidential help, and the endless sea of heartbreak.
At least 30,000 households have been ordered to evacuate as hundreds of wildfires rage in Canada's British Columbia province. Fires have destroyed buildings and homes, with officials warning the evacuations are a matter of life and death. This is Canada's worst wildfire season on record, with at least 1,000 fires across the country. Coming up on Scorebox this morning, we take a look ahead to this week's BRICS summit in South Africa as China's economic worries weigh on the block in the broader emerging market space. Also ahead, Malaysia's Prime Minister Anwar Ibrahim tells CNBC in an exclusive interview his country is playing a crucial role in the global supply chain for several industries. And with Germany agreeing to subsidise a number of semiconductor facilities in the eastern state of Saxony to the tune of some 15 billion euros, He's speaking to Managing Director of the Region's Industry Association, Silicon Saxony, that is coming up at 9.30 CET. Ambition to me is about doing better. I think ambition creates a pathway. The best advice I can give someone starting off a career is don't have a career, have lots of careers, try loads of different things. Talk to people and put your ambition out there. I don't feel that I've hit peak ambition because it's a learning journey. CNBC is where ambition meets opportunity. What does living ambitiously mean to you? Hear it from our CNBC anchors, reporters and global business leaders on CNBC.com. Did you watch it? No, you know I didn't. What? <laughs> a lot of people well, that's though. a conversation killer because there's a massive chat just built in for the next two. I'll tell you, you what you're talking a monologue. about. How about that? You could just talk at me and I'll just nod knowingly. Well, people, know, people have a go at me for doing that too much anyway. And now you're telling There's me I can do it. You can now you're leaving it. the... Well, anyway, um, there was a couple of football games yesterday. One was very exciting, but that was just me personally. Another one was really quite tough. And it's just Spanish because there was heartbreak for England's lionesses as they were defeated by Spain in the Women's World Cup final on Sunday. Spain clinched their first ever Women's World Cup title uh, with a 1-0 win. They just, they just did that. As I, moved the, as I moved down the prompt, there was a chat built they in. And, they, and, and Britt, the producer, yeah, wonderful job she's doing she just whipped the chat Yanked out because she just thought you had nothing to <laughs> offer whatsoever so let me just say what i think as well i think the spanish were brilliant they totally 100 percent deserve to win i don't think anyone in england if they're not looking at it pie-eyed could say otherwise i think the lionesses are amazing i even took to twitter which i don't do very often i did my only tweet of the last three months to to lambast someone from a a, a red top in the united kingdom who i won't mention the daily mail um oh i did uh, and just really basically just slagging them off early in the competition. I think they're brilliant athletes. I think they're fantastic ambassadors. They've done massive for the sport, but they weren't good enough. The Spanish were great. And four marks for Spanish, they were brilliant. They deserve to win. I would say, though, from the Australian perspective, the Australians have turned into Brits watching every single game that has <laughs> yeah. rolled across the television. Yeah. It certainly was a, it was a risk yes. for, for FIFA to have the tournament in Australia yes. uh, and across New Zealand. You've seen huge audiences in the Southern Hemisphere. Amazing. And we're going to be talking about how much revenue was raised later in the show. Are we? It's $900 million in revenue raised. Brilliant. Look, it was a total, total success. And for all Close of those... Ignoramuses out there who say, oh, the women's sport's not as good as men's sport. Oh, the women can't play. Well, I suggest you look at the last couple of big tournaments because they were brilliant and worth every penny and a lot more. See, Jim, I just saw what you did there. Who did that? <laughs> I don't hang on, hang on. Can, can someone show that Adam... Look at... How dare ye? 
How dare you? It's 21 minutes into it. You've got to put up with me for the best part of another 14 hours this week. And you've, got, and you've upset me already. That's the gallery having some fun this morning. <laughs> How dare they? Let's talk about what's taking place on the business scene as chip designer Arm is expected to post a 1% decline in revenue for the year end in March when it files its report uh, IPO filing today. That is according to Reuters. Now, the Cambridge-based SoftBank-owned company will reportedly post sales of $2.7 billion as global smartphone sales fell. It follows Friday's news that SoftBank acquired the remaining 25% stake in Arm from its vision fund ahead of next month's expected IPO. The deal values Arm at $64 billion, around double what SoftBank acquired the company for back in 2016. The UK government will reportedly hold talks with several US chipmakers, including NVIDIA and Intel, about acquiring equipment for AI research. That's according to The Telegraph. It says Westminster will spend up to £100 million to build up its AI resources, including an order of up to 5,000 graphics processing units from NVIDIA. Uh, NVIDIA will report its second quarter earnings after the bell on Wednesday in what's seen as a test of the company's status as the market darling of the AI race. Uh, the company's chips, especially GPUs, are seen as central to artificial intelligence development. In May, it guided for $11 billion in second quarter revenue, far exceeding anything it had reported before. That sent its stock soaring 25% setting it on its path to become a trillion-dollar company. Let's move on. Malaysia's Prime Minister Anwar Ibrahim told CNBC in an exclusive interview that his country has a key role to play in the EV supply chain as it establishes itself as a key hub for battery production. Uh, it follows Tesla's announcement last month that it will set up its regional headquarters for operations and vehicle services in the country. Speaking to CNBC's Martin Sung, Ibrahim said he wanted Tesla and other EV makers to see Malaysia as a key partner. EV Guys. happens to be our priority and they can provide. Now, if a Chinese company has not been asking the possibility, we'll be open. Um, but uh, what is the advantage? We produce batteries. That we see as uh, not conditional to them coming in, but would be of um, uh, advantage in the sense that we can complement that. So the, the, the way we see things is not um, a structured uh, blanket procedures or policies, but to see the synergy uh, for example, if EV comes in, Tesla comes in, and can benefit three or four local industries, uh, to me, it's as good as putting a 30% equity. In fact, in terms of real advantage and returns to the economy, that is better. Sell your cars. Yes, Malaysia does produce uh, batteries, but is that the next step for Tesla? Going up the supply chain? Yes, the understanding is, of course, bio batteries. Yeah, and it's cheaper, it's uh, produced locally, and it is the advantage. It is what they say. Why should they bring on the batteries from all over the world? Is the end game assembly then the complete supply chain in Malaysia for Tesla? Well, it's a bit too premature for me to commit because they are, they are doing it. But what is important is we do have the capacity to produce parts of battery what is required in the car and looking as an overhaul by a true ministry, ministry meeting is that 
uh, in the in, in the uh, comprehensive look at the entire uh, proposal, it is more um, beneficial than if to impose 20, 20 percent equity. That's how we see it, and and uh, similarly with, with Gili Proton, uh, because we have come up to a stage where there is readiness in the past, like like SpaceX, as I said, mm. you know, is is three major players here. So if SpaceX wants to operate here without any sort of equity, I would say fine because we have here enough capacity to produce spare parts for SpaceX. I want to ask you because Indonesia, as you well know, is going down that same road and it's caught a lot of people's attention because for the first time in modern memory, I think, right, Indonesia is not just, to be blunt, I think from the outside perspective, a hole in the ground to dig commodities out of, and Indonesians basically extract rent, although they've been trying to keep more of the value added at home. They have a grand plan up and down the supply chain, from batteries to mining all the way down to assembly and selling, maybe even export out of the country. Is that Malaysia's plan as well to compete with Indonesia? I would say um, is important neighbor to us and um, a lot in common. Um, we're working very well together, both in the government and private sector. And I think instead of uh, being in a game of fierce competition, we should be able to complement each other. And that has been the spirit of my series of conversations with President Jokowi and followed through by the industry. Thank you for listening to Squawk Box Europe Express. For more market-moving news, you can head to cnbc.com. Or join us again on the show with Jeff Cutmore, Steve Sedgwick and Karen Show Weekdays on CNBC.